In today's episode, we're talking about how to build a more effective team in a remote work or a hybrid environment. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience to try to understand the principles that are driving their success uh, from a business perspective. We, we want to understand uh, some of the trends that they're paying attention to. And ultimately, we want to take those insights and apply those things to the world of sports and entertainment. Um, if this is your 10th episode, heck yeah. Uh, we are so hyped to have you. If this is just your second one, just as hyped to have you. This is your first one. You're in for a treat. Uh, this is a, a pretty provocative episode that should leave you definitely thinking different. Um, so today's guest is Steph Smith. Now, her name might not be familiar to you in the sports and entertainment world, but she is definitely going to make you think differently about remote teams and culture. So a little bit of background on Steph and why she has this unique viewpoint on remote work. Now, after leaving the world of consulting, Steph worked for three years at TopTal, which is one of the largest fully distributed workforces in the world, meaning they have no real central headquarters. Everyone is spread out across the entire globe, uh, all different continents. Now, for three years, she worked remotely for this big, growing company doing over $100 million in, uh, in revenue per year. And everyone was remote. So she's going to have picked up on some great practices uh, and some things to watch out for because she's lived it for an extended period of time pre-COVID, not just at this time when everybody else had to learn it. Uh, she then, after leaving there, she created a company called Integral Labs, where she works with the top tech companies on technical writing, content strategy, growth marketing, analytics, not what this episode is about, but relevant to the work that she does with tech companies she created a 250-page ebook this past summer called Doing Content Right, and we'll link to that in the show notes. And it totally changed the way that we think about content here at Engagement, primarily by making us realize that we do a crappy, crappy job at distributing our content. So we are going to be focusing more on that this year. Uh, we're producing great episodes like this. we got to focus on getting those things out to the world. Um, back to Steph. Sorry for that tangent. Now, she works with The Hustle leading their trends business. If you're not familiar with The Hustle, it is a free email newsletter with over 1 million subscribers covering business and tech news. Trends is their premium product where they're going to go super deep researching, growing trends, uncovering underlying principles, and identifying business opportunities. I've been a part of this group for the last 18 months and can honestly say I've gotten more ideas from this group to apply to the sports and entertainment industry than I ever thought possible. Uh, the group and Steph really specialize in identifying frameworks, principles, deeper insights, and broadly applying those insights across industries to find new opportunities for growth and innovation. So it really shouldn't be a surprise when you think about this trends and, and hustle experience combined with her previous life working remote that she has this really really interesting ability to come up with some provocative, sensical strategies and tactics around remote work. Now, in this episode, we're going to cover a few different things. I'm just going to highlight a few. So one of the things we're going to cover, the types of people that you want on your team when you're working remotely. 
Another one is designing team culture with a remote team. Restructuring organizational incentives to drive desired behaviors and how to get the most out of your employees in remote work. A ton of other things that we cover, but those were four things that really stood out to me that I had to write down. Now, unlike some episodes where we take a few minutes to warm up, we tell some stories, have some back and forth, we jump right in here and we go nonstop. I highly, highly recommend giving this episode a listen once through just for the content and and to hear the principles and then going back with a pen and paper to take notes, thinking about how you can apply these principles to your world. Uh, I know that is what our team had to do here. Now, if you enjoy this episode, go check the show notes afterward. Definitely our most jam-packed show notes that we've done. Uh, we put a ton of resources in there for you, including an ebook we made called 71 Tips for Building Virtual Culture. We put where to get a hold of Steph, her, her Twitter handle, her blog, her own ebook that I just talked about before. Uh, we even put my own referral code for a trends membership, which is going to get us both $100 off if you sign up. All right. Done enough talking on the intro on talking Steph up. Without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Steph Smith. Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So there are a million things that we could cover today. Uh, you are, I, I looked to you for a bunch of different things, right? Uh, I would say the trends group and the product that you oversee in your day-to-day -day role uh, has been one of like the most influential things for me in the last 12, 16 months uh, from learning new concepts and really thinking differently. But for the purposes of today, I really want to dive into one of your passions, which is remote work. Sure, let's do it. All right. Um, so maybe, maybe let's start here. Um, there's a bunch of different topics I think we can get into from how we hire differently now, what the different skill set could be how to realign incentives to make sure we're driving and getting the most out of our people to even just learning and getting to know your people that work for you and how to kind of create that virtual culture. But why don't we start with this kind of hiring and looking for what kind of people actually thrive in remote work? Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about this concept that, that I've seen you talk about before, which is kind of encouraging giving uh, and that bigger principle in, in the type of people we're looking for. Yeah, so I read um, an excellent book um, from Adam Grant called Give and Take, and that's really where this thesis comes from. The book itself is not about remote work, but it talks about how there's three types of individuals in the world, or at least within his framework. There's givers, takers, and matchers, and it really reflects um, partially how people see the world. Do you see the world as a zero-sum game where you're utilizing other people to get ahead, in which case you need to be ahead of someone else to be successful, or do you see the world as a positive-sum game, in which case you can give freely and still you know, be successful? And one of the things that he found was that, interestingly enough, there was kind of this bell curve of success um, where you see, you know, obviously people on either tail end really successful, really not, and a lot of people in the middle. And he found that through his research, that the most successful people were givers and also the least successful people were givers. And a lot of the takers and matchers fell somewhere in the middle. And what was really interesting about that is a lot of people, if you were to ask before finding out that result, would have probably predicted that the takers would have been ahead, right? Because they utilize others to get ahead. And so from this research, I kind of, well, one, just thought that was amazing um, that the givers do end up getting ahead and almost like the people that they give help them get ahead in the end. Um, but 
I kind of asked the question, is this true with remote work? And there hasn't been a concrete study on this, but from my experience with working remotely, I just started to consider how certain giving behaviors are not necessarily recognized in the same way, just by the the dynamics that exist with remote work. You know, you imagine when you're in an office and someone gives and, you know, they stay late to help someone else, let's say, um, that what's the equivalent of that? on Slack. Well, it's someone pinging them saying, hey, I've got this project. Like, I don't understand this. Can you help me out? And in the case of remote work, the only person who sees that is the person actually getting the help. And so one of the things that I encourage a lot of people, whether they're hiring or whether they're within an organization already, is to really focus on how do you amplify the giving um, behaviors in your organization because the dynamics of remote work don't tend to incentivize that on their own. Um, and so that includes asking the right questions during the hiring process. So Adam Grant in his book actually talks about how you can ask certain questions. I think one of them is um, asking who someone has helped in their career in the past. And givers tend to actually mention people you know, on the same level as them or below them versus takers tend to mention people above them. And so those are a couple examples in terms of what you do when you're hiring, but then you can also start to consider how do I encourage giving behavior within my organization? So that can include um, simple things like shout outs, but also actually incentivizing people. So having things like micro bonuses that people give to one another um, such that they can reward that giving behavior when other people don't know it's actually going on. Yeah, uh, probably like 10 things that maybe maybe I should just stop you as you're going through these, but like you're <laughs> sure. just dropping good stuff. So I'm like, okay, let's let her go. Um, it, it is really interesting because I think in our world of, of sports and entertainment, right, it's really easy to see when everybody's in person that, oh, that, you know, Steph's car is still in the parking lot. So she's obviously still here exactly. working on something. And you can't see that in in the remote world as much. Um, we had we had, had a conversation this week with one of our guys who just – busts his butt. He works so much, but he's, he's kind of focused on the, the one singular project. And I'm like, Hey, you got to chime in. It's really tempting to just put your head down and work on the project in front of you because there's tons of work to be done there, but you got to reach out across the board and say, Hey, in another Slack channel, what's going on over here? Let me poke my head in and see how I can offer help. Right. Um, so, I mean, maybe we, maybe we go a little bit deeper into this concept of kind of micro bonuses and how to encourage that type of giving behavior within the organizations. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of organizations are still trying to figure out because it isn't something that it has existed in the past. Um, and so a couple examples of things that I've seen happen. Um, GitLab is a company that's kind of a lot of people know them now for being one of the kind of leaders in remote work. They've released their entire like kind of uh, company manual or it's guide so on, on this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things that I know they do is they have $1,000 bonuses. They have a set amount that I think the company offers in a given year, like they budget it out. And then what someone can do, and I don't know the, the like nitty gritty of how this works, but anyone within the organization can propose that someone else gets these $1,000 bonuses. And they don't even need to be $1,000, right? They could be much less, 100 bucks, 50 bucks, but just to make someone feel good about giving or particular actions that they've taken. And so- Are, are they, is it is it arbitrary or is it structured around like a specific set of behaviors? Because I, I think about that as like similar to people nominating someone for like a peer award at the end of the year. But I think this is different, right? Yeah, well, I think, so again, I don't know the nitty gritty of exactly how they like- decide whether someone gets it or yeah, not yeah. but i do think it's it's around yeah someone going above and beyond 
in their role. But I think in general, since it's it's meant to be nominated by someone who's your peer, it's not just like, oh, this person achieved, you know, their sales goal, right. but it's like this person helped me out when I needed it, or this person like did this cross-functional project that ended up going really well and doesn't actually help them <laughs> go towards their, you know, personal right. incentives, but is, is beneficial for the company. How how might like if you're if you had to build that out, I mean, and maybe we talk about it a little bit from a from a hustle and trends perspective. I mean, have you tried to adapt that kind of principle within the trends community or within the trends group of, of people that you have working with you? So we haven't yet, but it's something we want to work on. Um, but I think if someone was trying to build this out, I would allocate it doesn't even need to be a significant part of your budget, but just figure out what your payroll is, allocate. of that, take 2% of your payroll and say, this is going to be for micro bonuses. And again, the, the idea of this is less so, you know, we want to incentivize our employees so that they're so much better at what they do, or they make so much more money, but just there is this lack of kind of communal reward that is missing in, in remote work. And there's no really way to incentivize people or reward them for the the giving behaviors that a lot of people do, but honestly get trained out of if there isn't any sort of incentive or reward over time. So that's really the rationale behind it. I don't think it needs to be a significant part of your payroll, but you also would consider a lot of people who have, um, move to remote work or companies that have have a lot of expenses that they're not paying anymore from office space to snacks in the office. So just take that budget, just take that budget and reallocate it to something like this um, that makes your employees feel good about the work that they're doing. hundred percent. I mean, we're so we're working with a, a major league soccer team right now, and we were having the same conversation this week where we all it, we're talking about it more in person, but I think you could apply it virtually about even wrapping it in a in a sponsorship element, right? So all these sports teams have all these, all these sports teams have all these big sponsors. And so it's like, can you find a sponsor that says they care about employee experience, get them to sponsor it, even if it's like Jimmy John's or something like that, right? Um, that way you can say, okay, you know, winner gets a free sandwich. I mean, not, not a great, not a great huge thing. That's not the motivator, but to your point, it's more about the, the recognition itself rather than the, the reward at the end of the, the act, if you will. Exactly. Even small things like there was one um, guy who I saw, um, I don't know this guy, but I saw him, someone post about this in an article where he just was like to his to his small group of employees, everyone gets Friday off and here's like a $50 gift card to go to dinner at your favorite place. Like just simple things like that um, sound very minuscule, but I think actually are important in especially the remote workforce. All right. So we're going to jump all over the place because there's just going to be too many things that you're going to say like this that are going to trigger <laughs> other thoughts in my head. So sure. early, earlier in the pandemic, you uh, it wasn't a like a big thread or anything. I, I think it, I think it was a mini th- a mini thread, if you will. We're talking about, hey, what are the new recognition or perks going to be from a remote working perspective? Um, and I it triggered so many cool different thoughts in my head. Um, but maybe we talk a little bit about that, about what kind of new perks and offerings that people are going to have to attract best in class talent uh, to their organizations, knowing that the, foosball, the foosball table, the <laughs> snacks, the personal chef in the office, that's not going to exist anymore. Yeah. So I think there's two things to mention here before getting into the actual perks is that one, there's yeah these huge companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, et cetera, that used to reward their employees with these foosball tables and unlimited food and laundry at the office. And um, that was a way for them to actually win the best talent 
right? So there's there's that force that's going to continue to play where these companies are going to want to know how do we lock in the best talent. And then there's also the argument where there's many studies that have been show that show things like providing your employees with mental health benefits or providing them with internet so that they don't have to worry about that. Those things actually help them do their job better, right? So there's two forces at play. And I think both of them converge at this idea that companies are going to have to rethink their benefits. And um, there's all types of ideas in terms of, yes, like food, beverages, things that used to be provided in an office. But then I also in that thread heard some stuff like, you know, like marriage counseling or again, mental health benefits or really just anything that would enable someone to have a healthier mind so that they can actually conduct their work more effectively. And then, of course, there's physical things like, you know, getting a better off physical office, workout classes. There was a ton of ideas in that thread. And I just think it it was really interesting to just see that we're kind of at a clean slate. And that's true with a lot of aspects of remote work where you're at a clean slate and you kind of rethink how you want to build your environment. And I think that's true with, with these benefits. We're going to see a lot of companies doing some interesting stuff. Before I ask you like what your favorite ones are, I do want to hit on like the, the basic principle of this, of what I heard you say, which is Ultimately, no different than what we talk about from like a customer experience perspective, where think broader than the product that you're offering and go into what are the needs, wants, stereotypes, emotions, what role do you play in the larger life of your customer and how can you deeply understand that person and then create products and offerings and services that fit into that. I think the same applies to this, what we're talking about with employees, where you said, okay, if people are going to be home more, might need marriage counseling, like that might be a benefit that (laughs) we offer, right? Um, so I think underlying, like that is the core principle that you're talking about here, right? Exactly. I love your point there. And it's, I think it's really important where people need to start thinking from first principles about everything. And we do this a lot at trends where, for example, people are like, oh, an airline company, it's direct competitors or airlines. But actually when you think about what an airline is trying to do, they're trying to entertain someone really by putting them instead of, you know, being in rural Utah, they want to go to Thailand, right? They want to, you know go and try something new. Well, that really means that from first principles that um, an airline competitor, indirect competitor would also be something like an RV company, would also be something like a movie theater actually. And so it's interesting when you start to think about really what is someone trying to achieve um, in the things that they're doing. And so coming back to those first principles, the whole idea of benefits is really how do you make your employee's life better? And hopefully at the same time, make because their life is better, they become a better employee because they're happier, they're more productive. And so thinking from that principle, it can be anything, right? It could be right. a nicer bed, right? There's been a lot of interesting sleep benefits that some um, companies have been toying with. There was one company that paid um, their employees if they got a good night's rest. It was almost like if they got it, had a streak, the number of days they had a streak of like good eight hours of sleep, they would pay them for that. And so Huge. I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see, yeah, what are the, when you think about it from first principles and you're just trying to make your employees happier, healthier, smarter, um, what, what does that become? Um, and I think you asked me what some of my favorite ones are. It really is in that like, you know, sleep, mental health, like how do you actually just make your employee both inside and outside of work more happy? Because that's also an incredible retention um, benefit where, you know, if your employee is getting all of these things and it truly makes them happier, um, they're not going to want to leave this company because they're not just getting a paycheck. They're getting, they're improving their lives through the benefits that they're getting. Yeah. I mean, this is, this to me in sports and entertainment is like, I think we think about this and we're starting to think about this more 
on the athlete side of things. But it's like we just completely ignore all the people that are grinding, trying to put the events on themselves. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call somebody out here, but somebody's gonna correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it was the Big Ten did a partnership, or somebody did a partnership with Whoop, right? And for all the athletes that they they had access to that, and they they got that for for all those athletes. But then it's like, how much more in that partnership would it have cost to extend that to the employees behind the scenes putting it on? And it's like probably not that much. But it would have had big impact, right? And and so I think that we just have to put the same intentionality that we're putting among our athletes and apply that to our employees and our organizations are going to be a lot better. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that, I mean, these big tech companies figured this out before of like providing them food and laundry and, you know, childcare and all these things is that the additional cost to the company, um, depending on the amount of benefits, is not actually that big. But right. the retention benefits, again, the productivity benefits, all of these things are just way out. They outweigh the amount that they're actually spending. And so to your point, it's like a lot of companies don't realize that just, a, you know, adding, you know, 5% of uh, instead of giving someone a bonus, adding these benefits is actually way more beneficial for both the person and the the company itself. Hundred um, percent. Well, I I, w- I want to go back to kind of some of your favorite perks just for two more seconds. I I'll share mine. Uh, I think sure, mine yeah. mine was probably the the uh, Fiverr Upwork budget that each oh, employee yeah, that gets. So every every employee gets you know whatever a set amount per quarter per month that they can spend outsourcing menial not menial but administrative tasks that nobody likes doing. Um, or additional bonus tasks, uh, like a little bit of graphic design or whatever it might be, that they can outsource that to this bigger market uh, on Fiverr or Upwork to ultimately let them focus on the things that they want to do. And I loved that. Uh, but I think that one's a little bit complex, but I, I don't know. Have you seen that one in, in play yet? I mean, we kind of, without it being like a perk um, yeah. at the hustle have that in the sense that we just have a joint Fiverr account. And obviously if you were going to go spend like thousands of dollars, probably go get some approval. But if outside of that, like if you have like a $40 request, an $80 request, you just go in and you do it. Um, And we also have started to utilize a VA on Upwork for again, just like repetitive tasks that- Like booking travel or something. Exactly. Or like you have a spreadsheet of people you need to remove from a database. Like instead of doing that on your own and wasting an hour or two of your time, you just do it for much cheaper with a VA. Um, So I think I agree. That was one of my favorites. I love any of the benefits that kind of um, nudge someone into, you know, working more effectively or leading a, a healthier, better life um, without forcing them to do it, right? Like you're, you're kind of just like incentivizing them to be a better version of themselves. So with the Upwork one or the Fiverr one, it's like, okay, please don't spend time on this stuff that we're not actually paying you for, right? Like we pay you for your expertise. So please focus on the stuff that is like strategic and will move the needle. And the same thing is true with, you know, benefits like a better, like getting better sleep or better mental health or anything like that. We're just one of the ones that we have at, at the hustle is unlimited, um, Amazon books, um, because we want really? people to read and like get smarter and, you know, divulge themselves in different spaces. It doesn't have to be business and tech. It could be about anything. We just want, you know, re- no reading kind of stimulates their brain in a positive way. So I love perks like that where you're, again, you're just kind of nudging your employees in the right direction without actually saying, hey, you have to read these books every month or like you have to buy an aura ring on your own dime or anything like that. 
I, I love I love that concept in and of itself too, because you're not saying, hey, I read this book, I thought this book was good, so now you have to read this book. But it is giving the freedom and flexibility for people to choose and explore their own curiosities and bring that to the mm-hmm. table. B- different than saying, I need you to write a book report. We're all going to write a book report on this at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about replacing the water cooler a little bit. Uh, so this concept of we miss out on the hallway conversations and back, back in the day, a year ago, right? Like a lot of business happens and things happen in the hallways. You hear about things that other people are working on. You hear a side project that is interesting to you. So there's a, the, the business side of it, but there's also the personal side of it that happens at the, those water cooler talks and we miss those things. So how do we think about, how might we think about replacing that water cooler in a virtual setting? Yeah, this is still, you know, when I think about remote work overall, I think this is still the one aspect that no one has quite solved. And I'll give you a couple examples of things that I think kind of help the situation. But I do think this is one thing where I haven't really seen any single piece of technology or single idea from a company where I'm like, wow, that absolutely solves this problem. And I think it's it's natural, right? We're, we're kind of we're social humans and, you know, we are used to up until today spending most of our day with other humans, like physically next to them, having lunch with them, you know, walking by them in the office. And so some of the things that I've seen work are, well, A, just setting aside intentional time for this, right? So a lot of people think, oh, if we have more calls and we're just around each other more and we'll get to know each other, but everything with remote work is super transactional, which means if I'm on a meeting, it's to talk about this week's numbers and that's what we do, right? But Um, When you're in office, you're like sitting next to someone and you hear someone like, I don't know, choke on their lunch and you laugh together or or like you are both getting coffee at the same time and you talk there. There's no serendipity with remote work. So you almost as as manufactured as it seems, you have to create it. So that means like literally, you know, you see, see some companies having remote happy hours or what we've tried to do. And to be honest, it hasn't been as successful as I'd hope. It's just have a kind of like a remote lounge where anyone can always go and hang out there. You can, um, you know, co-work there. So wait, wait, not- remote, a remote lounge. What, what does that mean to you as I'm thinking about what it, what it might be? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really simple. It's just a zoom room and anytime anyone, the same way you would again, like go to the kitchen and like make your lunch or whatever, um, you can go and hang out there and it's, there's no program time for it. So it's just, it's just open nonstop kind of. Exactly. Yeah. And what we did is there's like a specific emoji that we all like recognize and you put it in your status. So, you know, someone's in the lounge if you want to go hang out, um, and you can work there, like you can co-work there and kind of be doing your own thing or be on mute. Um, so some people use it, it's really hard to get people to get into the habit of using it. I think once that happens, it will be a, a nice little touch to to kind of have people hang out more serendipitously versus, again, like really programmed meeting times. So that's something that we've done as well. Um, but honestly, what I think and what has worked really well for me um, pre-pandemic was just finding a lot of that camaraderie in co-working spaces. So actually with people who aren't necessarily in your company, um, but are working on similar things. So when I lived in Asia for a while, I'd go to these co-working spaces. And although these people were not working with me at the hustle, they also were working in tech and business. And we could, you know, you almost like form a a version of co-workers there. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that once the pandemic settles down, um, because I just think to, to what I said earlier, we haven't quite 
you know, evolved in a span of a couple of years to not crave that real in-person interaction. We, we, so what, what you're talking about, I call them uh, our co-co-workers, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I would say our business has grown exponentially because of that outside influence, because you're, you're working with people that aren't in the industry with you and are working on their own different things. You just learn things where, where the guy sitting next to you is like, hey, I see you doing this. There's a better way to do that, right? Here's how yeah. we, he, we used to do it. And like just completely blows your mind. Or have you thought about doing something like this, even though he's working in real estate and franchising, right? Exactly. But there, there are practices then that you can infuse into your business and it helps you. I think there's another mental health aspect to that too, where I can vent to my co-workers about something going on in my business. And they don't know if I'm right. They don't know the other people on the side of this. So there's not none of that toxicity that could exist when you're doing it with co-work, real coworkers. Exactly. I just find like this. That's exactly what I did for a while. I had I was had great relationships with my coworkers, but I wasn't best friends with them, and that was okay. Right. Um, I think just a lot of people who work in offices um, have come to expect like, oh, I work with these people. I have great relationships and we all go and have beers after, and we're best friends after like six months. And that's great if you can foster that. And especially if you can foster remotely, like kudos to you. But I think that what we're going to start to find is a lot more people who just are okay to have, you know, really decent coworker interactions and relationships, but then where they actually get their friendships and, you know, that really deep social interaction is in person. And that might be at a co-working space. It might be on a sports team. It's, I think it's going to come from somewhere else. Um, and it's okay for your best friends to not be your coworkers. All right. Let, let's, um, I kind of want to move. There's so much that we can cover here, but let's talk about something that's near and dear to my heart that in on the employee side of things in sports and entertainment, I don't think we do a good enough job of, and that is around selecting incentives um, and and ultimately measurement and how we measure people. I think it's really clear cut uh, with sales and maybe fundraising and corporate partnerships, but outside of that, it's really ambiguous, especially when you get into the operation side of things. Um, I, I know one of the first things that we do whenever we get into a big project, we we ask everybody in their own separate departments, one-on-one, small groups, what does success look like for you in your department? And outside of sales, there's never any metrics or very rarely are there metrics. Um, so I, I, let's talk a little bit about that and how incentives change now that we're in this, this virtual environment a little bit. Yeah, so I think one aspect that's both good and bad um, is that with remote work, there has to be more clear um, there has to be more clear data around the impact that you're making at a company because you can't just see someone working in their office and you're like, oh, I know Joe always works hard, so he's doing a great job. When you're working remotely, you you don't know is someone like on their computer playing chess? Are they like out playing with their dog or are they actually doing what we hope that they're doing? Um, And so with that, you kind of need to, or companies need to edge towards um, actually understanding what impact someone's driving. So I do think companies are are starting to see this, that with remote work, you need to have more kind of metrics-driven um, metrics-driven um, assessments of how people are doing within your company, regardless of whether you're on sales or marketing or customer support. So I think that is a good thing. But then what comes with that is, um, I think, speaking to some of the things we were saying earlier about giving and taking, is that most of the time when something's really metrics-driven, you're incentivized to drive that metric no matter what, right? And so that me- me- might mean that 
you're driving your metric ahead relative to the rest of the company and it's not actually good for the rest of the company. Yep. It may mean that you're actually doing things to without even realizing or maybe realizing you're sabotaging your other employees. So just making sure that companies are setting up metrics such that they're aligned across the board and they're not actually kind of uh, the antithesis to some other metric that some other team is trying to, to achieve. And then the other thing that comes up very frequently with remote work is just this idea that people never know when to turn off. Um, they never know when it's enough. So setting really, really clear, um, as really clear idea of not just, okay, we're tracking this metric, but like we're hitting, we're trying to hit this number by the end of the month or by the end of the year so that people aren't just kind of vaguely working towards this metric and never knowing what's enough. Um, there's this this other really good book called Algorithms to Live By that um, I would recommend, regardless of whether you care about remote work or not. And they talk about this thing called the Nash Equilibrium, which is like what people um, in any given game, if you talk mm -hmm. about game theory, what people move towards in that game due to the way that it's designed. And something with remote work is that the game is set up such that you're always because you you're not there with your other coworkers you're always trying to seem like you're working harder <laughs> than everyone else you're always trying to seem like you're online yep. and you never know when to turn off and so there there was actually data from a buffer survey that showed for example things like unlimited vacation and how the Nash equilibrium is actually zero days even though you would think like unlimited vacation that means a lot of people are taking time off no, it, like you actually saw a lot of those people take zero days off because that's the Nash equilibrium of, again, people trying to look more dedicated. And so I would also really encourage organizations to, even though it seems nice with remote work to have no boundaries because you're like, I'm giving this freedom back to the people. It's actually nice to sometimes set up boundaries to help people help themselves, if that makes sense, and set up incentives such that, you know, some people, for example, or some companies set up um uh, what's it called? Instead of unlimited vacation, it's a minimum vacation policy. Right. Things like that, I think, are really help small but helpful ways to incentivize people to actually make good decisions for themselves. Not not to go off on too random of a tangent, but talking about unlimited vacation, right? When, when we first started engagement, our company, um, my, my dad, who we work with and uh, is one of the partners in the company, was a 20-year exec with Disney. And so when I've when I came out, I was like, hey, we need to have unlimited vacation. And he was he was just like, that makes no sense. People are going to take advantage of it. Like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, actually, I think it's going to be the reverse. People are going to take less vacation. Um, and, and sure enough, that was the start of the case. But we've got another partner named Rick who is like, he's notorious for having mapped out every single vacation for the next like four years. Oh, and, my gosh. And he's, he's like 65. And so... Uh, his goal is every year he takes two more weeks of vacation until he's fully retired. And he's like very open about that. And so I think that helps drive our culture internally of like, it's good to take breaks and come back. But if you don't have that at the top, setting that example, if you just have your founders, which is tr more traditional in a startup that if your founders are just going to be grinding 24 seven working on the business, then everybody's going to take their lead from the founders and nobody's going to take vacation. Everybody's going to get burned out and your employee churn is going to be higher. So that exactly. minimum vacation policy is awesome. I think that's been a good help for us to like help drive and, and get our guys to take more vacation. Yeah. I mean, everything in this world is driven by incentives. And so I would just encourage people within their organizations to be like, give it like if this literally view it as a game, because that's the way that our brains operate. Everything is a game. And if, and if you guys haven't read about game theory, it's, it's fascinating. But Given G give the us, game give us, you... give us the basic gist in case people haven't read 
read about game theory. Well, I mean, with respect to this, the yeah. idea is just that given, like, when you're in a game, there are a set of rules. And within a game, you act based on those rules. Those are rules that incentivize you to get towards some outcome, right? And so the reason that I say view it as a game is because no, even if you're not trying to, the rules, the KPIs that you set, who you hire, the structure of your organization, all of that impacts this, this kind of subtle incentivization of how people act, right? Of if they know that their KPI is X, they're gonna, that they're incentivized to move towards that. But also if they have unlimited vacation and they see no one taking vacation, that's also an incentive to probably also not take vacation. So just given your organization setup, just ask yourself the question, like what are the kind of unwritten rules of this game that we've set maybe intentionally or not intentionally? And then how is this influencing our people to act and then if it's actually influencing your people to act exactly how you wish great you've got a great game set up um but most of the time that's not the case and then there's something else related to kind of game design and its mechanism design which is it's, it's kind of reversing it and it's saying so if we want these behaviors you start with the behaviors we want people to take vacation or we want people to be able to do x in our organization you start with the behaviors then you ask the questions what rules need to be set. And again, they don't, I'm using the term rules within the game context, but obviously they're not rules within your organization. Right. It's just the setup of your organization. How do we start with the behaviors and then ask ourselves, how do we design an organization to actually incentivize those behaviors instead of the reverse? Yeah. Starting with what you actually want it to be like and working backwards is so much, yeah. it's so much better. And it's like, it's, it's hard, I think in our world of sports entertainment, where we're just driving 24 seven, the, the next event is tomorrow. And so we don't have a lot of time to look up, but I think taking time to reset and say, what could this look like if we had a blank slate and drawing out what success might look like visually and saying, okay, here are all the things we want people to do. How might we build a system that's going to actually create that and forget it as opposed to saying, how can we make incremental changes to the currently existing rules that we have? Exactly. Every organization has debt, right? If people have heard of technical debt, like when you're writing code and it just builds up and then you you no longer are able to make the decisions you truly want to make because of what exists before. And so you see this phenomenon in, for example, in third world countries that are actually adopting technologies faster than we are because they don't have the debt before us of like, oh, we don't, we're not upgrading what exists before. We're just going with what is actually best today. And I think I really encourage organizations to think from that lens of, like you said, wipe the slate clean. That's kind of what happens with remote work. You're like, okay, all those offices <laughs> and those, those things that we did before, they're gone. So what do we do today? It's actually, it's overwhelming sometimes, but it's a great opportunity to design something from the ground up of how you actually want it to operate or exist versus just building on top of the debt that existed before. It's awesome. Uh, I, I think this is, again, I keep going back to sports and entertainment or, or, or people listening. This is the time to do that, right? There are not a lot of in-person events. Um, you're trying to figure it out still. Like now is the time to rebuild before you get back into just going crazy again uh, when, when people start feeling more comfortable to come to live events. Uh, and, and in addition to that, I mean, the amount of digital transformation that's happened in the last year is insane and should be causing you to reset even if you are really busy. Um, let, let's talk maybe a little bit about uh, learning about your people, right? Uh, I, I just did a session last week and somebody did what they reminded me of what you did with your your personal user manual, if you will. Um, so I've heard you talk a little bit about this. Uh, when you first started working at The Hustle, you had your 
personal user manual uh, that told a little bit of value. Can you can you talk to us about the concept of that? And then maybe we talk about how an organization might adapt that concept. Yeah, for sure. So when you get an appliance from the store or a product, it comes with a manual. And the reason that manual exists is because there are many ways to use that appliance, but there are probably best practices or things that you should know, like don't plug this, don't like immerse this in water or like, you know, this will last for probably two years unless you do X, Y, Z, right? So it's, it's helping you get the most out of your purchase per se. And all those, this sounds a little mechanical. It's the same idea when you hire someone, right? Or you bring someone onto your team you're bringing someone on that you're making a bet about, you invested in this person, you're paying them X and you're hoping to get Y out of them. And it's really, I think, a little naive to think that that person is gonna be just like every other person that you've hired and you know exactly how to manage them. Instead of kind of being behind the curve in the sense that you figure it all out, like you get into like a, a you know, an argument with them and then you realize, oh, I really shouldn't have like talked to them in that way. Or, or you realize that like three months in, they aren't effective and really that's only because they're they have the wrong set of kpis instead of finding that stuff out later i think it's really really intelligent for people to just be transparent about it right and and to tell people as they enter an organization or ask for it if they are the organization like just tell me like what really works for you best like when do you work at your best when do you not what really upsets you or what like how do you like to be managed um for example, for me, some of the things that I include in my personal user manual are like, how do you know when I'm upset? Especially with remote work, like, you know, I don't get upset often, but obviously everyone does at some point. Like, how do you know when I'm frustrated by something? Because I might not voice it. Or how do you know, again, like, how do I work most effectively? Do I work most effectively when I get very clear instructions? Or do I work most effectively when I'm given a KPI and given the autonomy to hit it, right? So I'm the latter, but some people are the former. And so understanding that those nuances of an employee is, I, I liken it to when you get an appliance manual where it's like you're really just learning how to work with this thing more effectively, get the most runway out of it, and hopefully also make, give the, the person the best experience as well while they're at your organization. So there's, we've given this a lot of thought, uh, and I, 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 I want to dive into this a little bit because I think there's some tactical things of how we actually apply that. So back in my my days at Disney, we had a form that you would fill out when, on your first day, and it was called a "We're All Ears" form, right? Obviously, we're going to brand it. We're Dis- we, we were Disney, right? We're going to. I think sports and entertainment teams can have some fun with it as well. Um, and it had it had everything from the things that you're talking about to even some more just fun things, like what's your favorite Disney character? So that way, when we do a celebration, we might be able to have that character show up. Or we can at least print out some different things with that character involved, right? Um, so there were some there were some fun things in addition to the actual user effectiveness, uh, so to say. Where I think this gets interesting, though, the user manual is in organizations or in industries that do tend to have a lot of turnover in senior management, which in sports entertainment happens all the time because people are jumping from one uh, one university to the next, one pro team to the next. Um, how how do you talk how do you think about storing these user manuals or the knowledge transfer of once you have this right you might give it to your manager but who sees that user manual outside of that is it your job then to give it to the next manager that comes in is it something that hr is holding on and keeping track of how how might you think about the using this concept in a little bit larger organization with 100 plus employees yeah, I mean it's a it's a good question. In the past, I've just 
given it to my manager and been like, hey, right. I think this will be useful to you. Um, obviously, there is an element of like the person is crafting it, right? And so I think it should be, well, it depends. If the person is is the type of person like myself to be like, hey, here here you go. Like, here are some of my weaknesses. Like, also some You're of my doing strengths, that on your like, own, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing it on my own. I don't know if everyone would want to do that. But I do think then it should be on the company if they want to benefit from this. I really do think this is a benefit to both parties, but I think more so on the company side would create their own version, like a template that they ask their employees to to fill out and it's standardized across their organization and meant to, you know, there will be specific questions to their organization that help them more like the, you know, favorite Disney character. Um, For other companies, it could be something else, but I think it really would be on the, the company side and then the company can utilize that as a resource and probably update it over time. <laughs> like there may be parts of it that, you know, the person thinks that they're really great at X and maybe they're not. Yeah. Um, and so I think it really is more of a resource. It's definitely not an end-all be-all source of truth, um, but it's just something I think that companies can use to get started. 100%. And I, I think there there might be some of you out there listening that are thinking, man, if I have to know this much about all of the employees that I work for, like what the hell, I should just be able to have my leadership style and deliver my leadership style the way I, I want to. These these millennials and Gen Zers want me to adapt my leadership style to them. If you're listening and you're thinking that, I'm sorry, but you, you probably aren't listening to this, epi- uh, this podcast. But uh, if you are thinking that, you're already way behind because ultimately I think a, the role of a really good leader is to step in front of their employees and remove those obstacles that the employees might trip over and empower those employees to really do what they were hired for. Um, and so if you're not thinking about how can I be versatile in my leadership style to help my employees and empower my employees, you're already behind. Yeah. And I mean, like we talked about incentives before, like if you're leading an organization or even just a small team, like those people are not replicas of one another. And if you really want them to do what you want them to do, you need to figure out how to incentivize them to do that. And that's that's like you said, that's your job, not necessarily the employee's job. And I think the really important part of partially doing the user manuals for the company, but also as you get people to do this, like when's the last time most people have actually sat down and been like, what am I really bad at in my job? Or like, you know, sometimes that's asked in in uh, an interview, but it's like really high level and vague and Normally, someone finds a way to make <laughs> something I'm, bad. I'm really bad at turning good. off work, right? Like, yeah, I just exactly. work too hard. But like, at this point, ideally, when you give it to the person, they're hired, right? They're not going to get fired anytime soon. And it's, it's an opportunity to just be honest and say, okay, I really appreciate getting feedback like this. Or actually, I'm really not great at doing X, Y, or Z. But I actually am great at this. So if you get a project like this, like, I think I'm your guy or girl, right? And so I think it's an opportunity for both the company, but also the person to reflect on what they're actually good at, what they enjoy doing, what they don't enjoy doing. And it's an outlet for them to communicate that in a really natural way versus like some point down the line when they're frustrated saying like, I really don't want to do these projects anymore. I want to do these ones. Just getting that out at the outset. I love it. Uh, so much application here for everybody listening. Um, let, let's think about the future of work and trends that you're maybe paying attention to in this space right now. Um, obviously, remote work's a passion of yours, uh, and you tend to do a lot, a lot of reading and listening, talking on this. Um, what are the things that are interesting to you that you don't have conclusive, maybe conclusive thoughts on, but things that have piqued your interest and said, I want to learn more about that and, and how we might apply that? 
Sure. In remote work specifically? Yeah, in remote, or... in remote work specifically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that just in terms of the short term, you're going to see a lot of people continue to work remotely. I do think that once the world opens up, it's gonna you're going to see just most companies be hybrid companies. Um, and I do think some of the things we talked about earlier where you're going to see a lot of, I don't know if you'd call them like co-ops or um, groups of people that segregate or aggregate based on where they are. Um, and again, they're not necessarily working in the same companies, but you see little hubs being formed. I also think that the change in remote work is going to, you're already seeing this with people moving to Austin or Miami, but I think it's going to be a worldwide phenomenon where people are just going to move to places that resonate with them. Because again, everyone's starting with a blank slate. So you're instead of asking the question of like, um, like where is my office? It's like, what place actually satisfies my needs the best? And it might be like somewhere in Mexico or somewhere in Thailand or somewhere in Africa. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening there. In order to satisfy that, I think there's going to be a lot of development in kind of legislation and visas. And so I think there's right now you're a citizen of some place um, and you can go and get a visa somewhere, a business visa or a tourist visa. But there's what's missing is some sort of nomad visa. And you're already seeing some countries like Estonia and Taiwan start to create these types of visas because if you go and you like spend a week somewhere and you're on your laptop, are you working or not? Right. And it's this, this gray area that um, people are starting to, again, create visas for um, because I just think we're going to see this complete shift uh, where, again, the, the barriers have been broken down. Slate has been wiped clean. And I think just the way people work and where they choose to work is going to change forever. And I'm really excited for that because that's kind of the lifestyle that I was living for several years. And I'm interested to see how kind of that expands or evolves on a worldwide scale. I'm fascinated, especially in our industry, to see how that gets adopted, because I think for professional teams, the issue's not as big where most pro teams are in bigger cities, right? Um, but especially when you get into the college side of things, you've got these 100,000 seat stadiums that are really, they're in a college town. They're in the middle of nowhere in Nowheresville, USA, if you will. And I, I do believe that the ability to attract best-in-class talent has been hindered because of some of those locations. So hopefully people start to think a little bit differently and can say, hey, just because you want to live in Mexico or you do live in Mexico doesn't mean that we should say you're, you're not available for this job. And I, I think I think you said something about this in one of your blogs that I read a while ago that was like, um, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to get it right. I think it was something along the lines of companies are looking for people that are trying to think outside the box by hiring people that are inside the box. And that just... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to expand a little bit on that? I mean, yeah. So it was an article just based on that premise that was like, this was before the whole world was forced to go remote, but you saw so many companies saying, hey, we want the most innovative people and we want people, again, thinking outside the box, but they're restricting people from working in the ways that they, they want to, right? People have already thought, into the future and said, you know what, we don't need to be restricted by these physical restraints. Um, they had already made that decision and thought outside the box, but companies weren't willing to, <laughs> to engage with them. And so I think it, it really is. There's some some quote that's like, whatever, um, whatever your friends are doing on the weekends, whatever those friends who happen to work on the weekends are doing, 
is going to be what your the whole world is doing in you know 10 years or 20 years i think the same thing is true with things like remote work we're just like what whatever you're seeing on the fringes um, of really, really smart, innovative people, whatever they're doing now, you're going to be doing in 10 years and you probably just want to start doing now <laughs> before kind of like if you want to be in, on the early stages of any curve, um, you should probably look for what the people in the fringes are doing and not kind of um, ignore it in, in a way where you think that, oh, it's only the fringes because the start of any curve is small, right? I love it. Um, well, let, let's let's use this to kind of get, get us into wrapping up here. Um Outside of remote work, what are some of the fringe things uh, that you're seeing that, that are interesting you? Because obviously you're, you see a lot of different things going on, especially with your access to trends. Sure. I mean, this one's not as fringe, but we wrote an article about predictions. And the one thing that I think is going to, it's already a thing. That's why I say it's not really a fringe trend, but it's, it's in its early stages for sure is everything biotech. Um, if you look if you ask someone, we did this with the trends group, like what is the best um, product that you've bought in the last year? All of it is things like aura rings, uh, you know, a smart bed, um, <laughs> yeah, smart watch, um, different ways of like biohacking. People are buying CRISPR kits. If you look at the search volume for that, everything, people are really taking control of their own body. And when you think about it, it makes sense because you can, we can go and buy nice couches or nice cars or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, if you're not healthy, if you're not feeling good as a human, like physically and mentally, like what else do you have? And so the best thing you can really invest in is literally yourself. So I think there's going to be a huge biotech um, boom. But also if you guys have read anything about the alpha fold kind of um, no, what's, what's that, that was what's that? around a Basically, I'm trying to say this in the simplest way, but we all are made of of proteins, right? And those proteins are made of DNA, which are made of amino acids. And when a protein is created, it's this long strand of amino acids. And due to the order of those acids, it folds in a certain way, right? But based on the way any protein folds, it determines its capability to do something, right? The same way like the coronavirus is a certain shape and it's able to do something. The same thing is true for like our, you know, our skin cells. Everything is formed off of different proteins. And what was this huge um, kind of undertaking for many years that people weren't able to solve is predicting the shape of a protein based on the sequence of the acids. And there was always these competitions and people could, you know, the smart, some of the smartest people in the world would go and try to predict this and they never really got very close. Now, recently, an AI actually went and processed, you know, analyzed millions, I don't know exactly, maybe billions of proteins and is now able to predict the exact shape of a protein um, very, very closely to what it actually ends up being. Now, that doesn't mean much to, to someone who doesn't know much about the space, but what that means is you can literally manufacture proteins in the same way that you can manufacture, you know, something like you like 3D printing, in which case you actually know the shape that you want to create um, and you can go and say, okay, we're going to actually create this protein based on this sequence of amino acids. And so this is going to, like from everything that I understand and a lot of people in the space, just completely reshape our ability to to create things with biotechnology. And so that's why I think, you know, every so often there is like these inflection points with innovation where you hear about things. And I think this, this will actually be a very strong inflection point in, in biotechnology for the next, like kind of unlocking 
many, many years of future developments. I'm like, I, I, I don't know where to go from there because that, that's like, it, it's so <laughs> it's so deep. Um, and obviously, I think for anybody listening, right, Steph can go deep on a ton of different topics. Um, I, I think biotech is super cool. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning around health and wellness of, of your remote workers and how to tie that in and, and ultimately drive those benefits. Um, ran, random side tangent on that, too. Uh there's a company that I've just, they just opened up here in Chicago. I don't know if, have you heard of it? It's called Forward or like Go Forward. No, I haven't. So it's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's non-insured, like it's it's an addition to your insurance, right? So there, it doesn't matter if you have insurance or not, uh, you're paying out of pocket. And so there's small fee every month and it's unlimited visits, an hour with the doctor, unlimited blood work uh, and lipid panels. So what I've started doing in there is like, I've, I've started these experiments this year where every month or it's really like six weeks we're running different challenges. so like making sure every week every week or every day this month i'm getting eight hours of sleep what does that do to my blood work right or removing alcohol or removing caffeine mm-hmm. which i'm dreading when i run that experiment because uh, i drink too much coffee but i know that it's going to have some positive impacts and so I, I think ultimately like when the doctor sat down and said what is your goal here i mean for me, I'm not competing for like any CrossFit challenges or anything like that. It's ultimately about how can I be more effective from nine to five, right? Like, and obviously it's different hours than nine to five, but how can I be more, have a clearer mind? How can I drive work better? Um, and so I, I think everything that's happening in the biotech space is like super fascinating for me right now. So fascinating. Just to add two yeah, yeah, super go. quick things, if people haven't heard of, there's different companies like Levels, which are like real-time yep. glucose monitors. Those are so interesting because you can get that real-time feedback so people understand what they're actually putting into their system and how it's impacting it. Um, and then one thing, this is again, kind of the, the way I view these things is there are certain inflection points or changes in the way technology um, innovates. And so one of them that I find so interesting is if, you know, technology as in like, um, software over the last several decades has really been powered by one thing, which is Moore's law, right? The ability to actually create faster and smaller chips over time. And if, if there, this is a law that was predicted several decades ago, and you can just see that our ability to follow that trend has has been incredible and really laid the foundation for every piece of technology that we know today. Now, the same thing is actually happening with our ability to sequence DNA or sequence these acids, and so. If you actually plot Moore's Moore's law on a graph, our ability to actually sequence and decrease the cost of sequencing is actually faster than Moore's law. And so this is why I think like there's just like if you really understand that Moore's law is the underpinning of our ability to have created software and hardware over the last several decades, this is one of the reasons that I think the cost of sequencing is actually accelerating faster than Moore's law. And that's why we're going to see this this crazy boom in biotech over the next couple years or decades. Crazy, crazy. Um, well, any, I mean, before we go into your final like advice for our, our listeners, um, I, I think guys, for anybody listening, right, Steph and, and what her group at Trends does is such a good job at taking the underlying principles behind concepts, separating those principles from the actual tactics and the actual story itself, and then saying, okay, how might we apply this principle to a bunch of other things? And, and I think it's something that all of us can do a better job of in our, in our day-to-day, right? Understanding that, hey, if somebody comes out with a new app or somebody comes out with a new something or other, what is the principle that drove them to get to that point? And how might we apply that to our own unique situation instead of just throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, that's a different industry, doesn't apply to us. Or, oh, that company innovates because they have so much money, so that doesn't apply to us, right? 
get out of that thinking and go more into this first principle thinking and understanding that and figuring out how to apply to you guys. Um, well, Steph, any final words of advice for our, uh, our group of listeners here, our, our, our group of senior leaders listening to this? No, I mean, I think you captured it perfectly. Just think, try to think from first principles and not just take something at face value. Try to understand what are the core incentives that are driving something to be true. And then from there, working your way up to actually, you know, maybe taking action or making decisions based on that, but always first get down to the first principles. And like you said, you can learn a lot from different industries, especially if you're getting to that first principle level, because you're understanding people's motivations versus just the surface level of what you're actually seeing in their decision making. Love it. Steph, where can people reach you, follow along your journey? Obviously, you're putting out uh, a ton of great content all the time. Uh, Where can people follow along your journey? Sure. So, I mean, if you're interested in any of the stuff that I've mentioned in terms of trends, you can go to trends.co. That's where we write about a lot of the stuff. Um, in terms of myself, you can find me on Twitter at stephsmithio or my site, which is stephsmith.io. Um, and yeah, those are the best places to find Perfect. me. Perfect. Uh, and we'll put links to all those things in the show notes. Um, Steph, I'll probably even put my uh, trends referral code in there and uh, so, <laughs> so people it. can get a, yeah. a discount as they sign up. Uh, But Steph, hey, it's been great having you. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll see you soon. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, We're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.